here at Huguenot Road Baptist Church, we offer a three-week class for new members and folks who are interested in our church. Uh, we, we call it merge, as if you are merging uh, into another road or onto an interstate. And we've been meeting this month for uh, during the uh, Bible study hour. One of the questions that we asked at the beginning in the first session was, why did you first visit Huguenot Road Baptist Church? You might remember we also asked this question during our visioning sessions with Dr. Bill Wilson as we, as we have worked with him over this last year, uh, close to a year and a half now. Some responded in the class that they visited because they were new to the area and looking for a church home. Others said that one of our members had invited them to come. And still others said that our church happened to be in close proximity to where they live. So it was just a, a natural uh, visit that they would make since it was close by. And they stayed. But the next question is equally to, and I, I would submit more important than that, and that is, why did you come back? Why did you return? It's one thing to visit a first time, but why do people return a second, a third time and eventually stay? Over and again, through the group, the responses were that people felt welcome. They expressed that there's a genuine kindness and care here at Huguenot Road. Some expressed it that there's a warmth there. Pastor Bob, there's a warmth in this church. And, and it, it warms my heart. Let me tell you a story from one of our newcomers who's in the class. Used with permission. I shared uh, just uh, not a one to be high profile, so we'll just not use her name, but she said, love you to share my story. The member uh, mentioned in the story was okay with me sharing her name. <laughs> as soon as I stepped inside the doors of the church, I was met by a lovely young woman welcoming me to Huguenot Road Baptist Church, and she introduced herself. And we had some pleasant conversation as others were entering and so forth, and, and then I started to move forward. I was then greeted by a kind gentleman offering me a bulletin. I seated myself near the back left side with a, a number of other ladies on the opposite end of that pew. After the opening and the song, the congregation was instructed to stand and to greet those who are around them. This is pre-COVID, remember. He says, I spoke with several folks around me and exchanged names with the ladies who were on the opposite side of the pew. I sat down and the service continued. I was soon handed a paper coming from the lady group at the opposite end of my pew. It was, it was in handwriting on the back of an offering envelope, which began with my name. She even remembered my name from that brief introduction. The note said, my name is Salome Coleman. Are you surprised? No. 
Shalom, are you here today? She's not here today. She said I could mention her name. She's okay with it. Hello, Shalom. She said her name was Shalom Coleman, and she listed the names of the other ladies who were beside her. She said she was glad that I visited that day and hoped that I would be back. She said, please ask if I had any questions, and then again listed her name and her phone number. Quite a bold thing to do. I was impressed with that welcome. And she said, since you know Shalom and the others who greet on Sundays, you are not likely surprised. I thought that was neat that, you know, the offering envelopes could be used for another kind of offering, an offering of self, an offering of, tel- of fellowship and kindness and care. What a difference it made. Despite the end time, uh, the time away from in-person worship because of the pandemic, she has continued to be in friendship with Shalom and uh, regularly attends Sunday school with those same ladies. Kindness goes a long way, doesn't it? As we've established during this month's series called Kind of Culture, kindness we've established is the love of God embodied as a lifestyle. The love of God embodied as a lifestyle and extended through our actions and our words. Speaking of kindness, New Testament scholar William Barclay said, more people have been brought into the church by kindness of real Christian love than by all the theological arguments in the world. If you think about it, think about it. How many of you, if you're a Christian, became a Christian because somebody argued you into it? How many of you came to our church because somebody twisted your arm? You know, maybe, you know, mom and dad said, you're going to church whether you like it or not, as mine did sometimes when I was younger. But eventually, we have to make our own choices. And most people will say that if they have to be argued to come to a a church, they might not be so interested in it. More people have been brought into church by kindness. During the series, we've been looking at four fundamental theological views of kindness, God as creator of kindness, Jesus as the reflection of God's kindness. Next Sunday, we'll talk about kindness as it was shared in the New Testament church in the book of Acts. And then today we're centering on kindness as spiritual fruit. In his letter to the churches in and around Galatia, the Apostle Paul lists kindness as one of nine different varieties of spiritual fruit. They are love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Kindness is listed right in the middle. I don't know if you ever saw that or not, but it's right in the middle. Perhaps Paul structured it this way so that it was in the center, kindness being the center of the Christian life. As trust is the keystone of healthy relationships, kindness is the keystone of the Christian life. Imagine if there were more kindness 
in politics. Imagine if there were more kindness, there was more kindness online, more kindness in traffic, more kindness at the checkout counter, more kindness in the restaurant. You know, most servers are looking at those who come in on Sunday early afternoon. They know that that's the church bus. How are we treating those servers? What kind of impression are we making on them? Are we kind and compassionate and caring? After all, they had to work so that we could go there. Are we kind to those who are different than we are? More, what if there were more kindness to those who are struggling with who they are, with their identity? What if we were more kind to our spouses, more kind to our parents, more kind to our children? What if there was more kindness in our churches? We Christians receive our example for kindness in the person of Jesus Christ. At Pentecost, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit who empowers and enables us to be kind to others. Kindness is spiritual fruit. Just as a tree bears fruit that is good to eat, so the Christian is called to bear the spiritual fruit of kindness that is good for others, good for their lives. When a person becomes a part of the body of Christ, part of a gospel community, God's Spirit goes to work in them. They are renewed. Their first sign is faith in the Lord. And then we begin to bear fruit that expresses the love of God. It is embodied and it is lived out. We are known by our fruit. Think back to what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount about trees and their fruit. This is at the beginning of his ministry. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, listen to what Jesus said. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious as wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree produces, bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit, says Jesus. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And then Jesus says, thus by their fruit you will recognize them. He wanted the disciples to be able to recognize a wolf in sheep's clothing. And he drew the connection to the fruit that comes from a tree. In John's gospel, literally at the end of his ministry, Jesus took the disciples out to the Mount of Olives. He walked them with them into a vineyard and taught them what we understand would, be a, would have been a living parable. I can imagine him going right up to a, one of the grapevines and, and uh, illustrating it by touching the branches and helping the disciples to see this story in action as it's unfolding. And Jesus says, I am the vine and my father is the gardener. John 15, starting at verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. 
You're ready to clean. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And then verse four, remain in me or abide in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And then Jesus said in verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then Jesus said in the end of the, the, the passage, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Jesus said, this is my command, that you love one another. This is the bookend to what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. You'll be recognized by your fruit. And then Jesus said, this is my command, love each other. We can say that all of the different kinds of fruit of the Spirit that are mentioned in Galatians chapter 5 are out of love. The disciples would have heard Jesus say this over and again, and the disciples would have known well how to grow grapes, and Jesus wanted them to see this at that moment in time, the, the night before he died on the cross. The disciples must be grafted in from a mature vine and planted in the right amount of sunlight in the right kind of soil with the right amount of water and nutrients as they were to grow they were be properly pruned and eventually produce good grapes, the fruit of the vine. The trunk and the branches would continuously send nutrients from the root system out to the canopy where the leaves grow and where the grapes are. Evidence of all that's happening within the grapevine structure. And the tree, well, the tree is known by its fruit. So are you and I as Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, to be known for our fruit. And this series has compelled me to ask myself the question, Ron, what kind of fruit are you producing? And is it kind? What are your growing edges? Where can you be better at? The tree is known for its fruit. We must be planted in the fertile soil of the Word of God to be able to yield spiritual fruit. We must be nurtured in the fellowship of the church. We must receive the living water of Jesus and His light that shines on us. We receive the nutrients, these nutrients through worship, teaching, care and kindness, and we bear fruit, fruit that will last. This is the contrary to what are called the works of the flesh. It's plural. There's a whole list of them. You can read them earlier in chapter 5. They might look good for a while, but they are distortions of what God intended for good. They aren't spiritual fruit. They're contrary to what Paul talks about as a life in the Spirit of God. New Testament scholar, or Bible scholar, I should say, N.T. Wright, explains this by comparing Christmas trees to the ordinary humdrum fruit trees in an orchard. He remembered going down the street one day during the Christmas season, going from store to store, and looking in the windows, saw 
trees with pretty lights and decorations. She said, each shop had trees with parcels, bells, cherries, glass balls, and all kinds of trinkets. And they looked alive. In reality, he says, they were not. About a month later, he walked down the same street, and all the decorations were gone, and the trees had either been folded up and put away or thrown out. He said nothing actually had been growing on them. It looked magnificent, but it was all artificial. He challenges us in his commentary to compare those Christmas trees for a minute with the ordinary but real trees in an orchard. Have you been out to Carter's Mountain or another apple picking orchard? And if you look at the the apple trees, they're not all that pretty to look at, but they sure do grow good fruit, don't they? And you know what? They make apple cider donuts out of those things. And that's my favorite part of going to pick apples. The Christmas trees may look wonderful for a while, but then they get packed away or thrown out. The fruit trees may not look all that spectacular, but if they're properly cared for, they will produce fruit year after year after year. We Christians may not look or even feel very spectacular. We're an ordinary type. But if we properly care for our spiritual lives through the the nourishment of solitude, silence, meditation on God's word, prayer, worship. And it's important to be in worship in person. Yes, our online worship is vital to our community, but it is most important for us to be together as a worshiping people. We pray together. We have fellowship together. We serve together. And we, as ordinary people, will bear fruit year after year. And one kind of fruit is kindness. Now, I want to try to help draw um, a comparison between what Paul writes as fruit of the Spirit, fruit, the the Greek word translated fruit is singular. And all nine of the types of fruit come from that. It's not fruits of the Spirit. It is fruit of the Spirit. But then in other letters, Paul writes of the first fruits of the Spirit. So I'm going to try to help really quick to help unpack that so that we can make a connection with what this means as we live life as God's people. First fruit, we find it in Romans 8. 2 Corinthians and in Ephesians, it may be a different Greek word, but it's the same understanding. In Romans 8, 23, he says, We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. He says, We have the first fruits of the Spirit or the Holy Spirit. First fruits goes back to the days the Hebrew people, where they would harvest their crops and give the first fruits, the first and the best, as an offering to the Lord. And they would leave the produce on the outskirts for those who were in need to 
come and glean. The tithe, or giving the first 10% of our income and our abilities and talents, is giving God the first fruits of our labor. Does that make sense? Okay, good. I feel with you. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, chapter 1, that he has set his, God has set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. It's a different Greek word, but the same principle, that God has given us something special that is a guarantee of, of what is to come. And then in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 13 and 14, when you believed, you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to praise his glory. And the word here has to do uh, with uh, this deposit. It's kind of like earnest money when you go to apply for a mortgage loan and you're writing a check to put money down guaranteeing your commitment to borrow that money and to make good on it. So God has given us first fruits of the Spirit, meaning God has given us the deposit of the Holy Spirit in our hearts as a promise of His presence and a promise of what is to come. And we are to live as His people, bearing good fruit until that day. This Greek understanding is that God has given us a foretaste of the glory that's to come. The, the Greek word is erebon. So this deposit, this is a foretaste is uh, of that which is to come in, in Christ. God then flips it, and in Christ, he's given us the first and best of his Holy Spirit, helping us to understand what's to come. I think of the hymn that's just next to the last hymn that we'll sing today, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. There's more to come. But while we are here, we are to bear good fruit. And the Holy Spirit, which is deposited in us when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, is the way that we are able to share that kindness and spiritual fruit. It is a gift to us to be shared. The Spirit enables us to produce fruit that will last. And Paul then does something remarkable as he's describing this to us. He uses the singular word for it. I have often said fruits of the Spirit, but it is singular. I believe that he's talking about fruit that is grown and used another way. Fruit that identifies the plant and then passes along what is inside to others as we are kind to others. This singular fruit that Paul, listen, what he says, he says, the, spirit of, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The very first word he says is love. While there are eight other words that follow love, the fruit is singular. 
Spirit is singular, the one Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity that we sang about earlier. Love is singular. The verb is in this passage is singular. The fruit of the Spirit is love. One Spirit, one fruit, love. And all of the other manifestations or all of the other fruit that is listed come out of love. Meaning there's one fruit, agape love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control all come out of agape love. They are love in action. The Spirit-bearing fruit in our lives. And in the center of all of them is to be kind to one another, to reflect the kindness of God that is given to us by Jesus. The Greek word translated kind here means to be adaptable or compliant to the needs of other people. When agape love is working in our lives, we don't demand that others change to conform to our needs or our likenesses. Instead, agape wants us to bend over backwards. Literally, this is a gymnastics word. The Greek translated uh, that agape wants us to bend over backwards to to become what others need us to be for them. So to be kind portrays a willingness to serve and to change in order to meet the needs of others. Kindness bends over backwards. It's the complete opposite of selfishness or self-centeredness. We don't lose our value system. We don't take the Word of God and just put it on a shelf and become whatever No, we are willing, out of love, to bend over backwards to serve others. So if I'm a Christian, and I've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, I have a foretaste of what is to come. However, while here on earth, I am to live in such a way that I bear the fruit of kindness. And I must look at myself in the mirror and ask, do I become what others need me to be, or do I demand that others be like me? Real agape love expresses in kindness what it means to always reach out, to be thinking and focusing on the needs of others. How can I help you? How can I speak life into you? How can I encourage you? How can I love you? Jesus said it this way. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life or her life for one's friends. Real love bends over backwards for others. Real love makes kindness.